Welcome to the Chats with Yvonne podcast where I talk about public speaking because I love it and I want to help you love it too. My name is Yvonne Armenta. I'm a public speaking creative and in this episode, I'm really excited for you all to meet our special guest. She was my high school teacher, one of my biggest advocates of me as a public speaker and just an incredible person who I admire for her vision around what the world could look like. If you've listened to the podcast episode where I talk about how I started my public speaking journey, you'll know that it really started in high school for me. The first keynote presentation that I was invited to do was while because of the work that I did in high school. And Abby was one of my truest number one supporters. I remember during that keynote presentation, she was right up at the front. She was with me along the entire thing. So she's been a huge mentor for me. And I'm just really excited for y'all to get to know her. So let me tell you a little bit more about Abby. Abby Benedetto has taken on designing and changing systems for the last two decades from a wide variety of roles and perspectives, honing her skills around deep listening, collaborative innovation, and equity-centered learning design, and driven by the purpose of working to ensure that all young people and adults have access to the type of deeper learning they deserve so that they feel seen and valued and develop the skills they need to go out into the world and thrive. As 2020 unfolded and the world was newly turned upside down because of COVID, the persistent and inexcusable murders of unarmed black men and women, forest fires raging around us, and clear threats to our democracy, Abby found herself heavy with so many questions of, what am I doing? What can I do? Those questions led her to some new lenses of purpose and focus, specifically around supporting other white-identified folks to build an anti-racist practice and develop tools to reduce the hold that white supremacy culture has on our system of public education. It is truly my biggest honor to welcome Abby to the Chats with Yvonne podcast. What you'll listen to is a pre-recorded conversation that we had, and this will be split into two segments. So once you listen to this one, make sure to check back in and listen to the second part of this podcast episode. Please enjoy and let's get into it porque estuvo buena la conversación. Without telling me what you do, what your occupation is, what certificates you have, who are you, and what do you do? Hmm, that's a great way to frame that question. I think that who I am is somebody who is trying to like take a real, take a real hard look at the world and try to like work in collaboration with other amazing humans to like imagine a future where um things are things are better in terms of how we interact with each other how we move through systems and um um hopefully making spaces where people come together in a variety of purposes like vibrant and equitable and um, like where people can can bring the, the fullest sense of themselves and be welcomed and feel like they belong and all that stuff. That might be how I answer All that, that stuff. Like it's not huge, incredible kind of a vision for the world. <laughs> I love it. And, and I think that that is very similar to how I think about public speaking. I know public speaking is very, could be very, feel very niche, but I think it touches a lot of different ways and speaking of reimagining something I'd like I always ask this for to the, the guest on the podcast but what is the very first memory or earliest memory that you have with public speaking where were you how did it feel what were you doing 
Okay, I love this. And this relates to something that you just posted on your Instagram because um, I grew up in a very small town in Connecticut and I went to um, J. Milton Jeffrey Elementary School. And when I was in fifth grade, um, my principal's name was Guy. <laughs> And uh, Guy, Guy, I mean, I didn't call him by his first name in fifth grade. But anyway, uh, my principal selected me to um, speak at a big ceremony where we were actually changing the name of the elementary school. So it used to be something else and it was changing to J. Milton Jeffrey. And so I was somehow selected. I don't, I have no idea why, um, but I was selected to read out this like dedication plaque. And so I will never forget, I was wearing like a red and white striped dress with like this cute little like whatever. And I have, I had tiny short hair. Like I had like totally not long hair. It was like, like a, you know, a pixie cut before pixie cuts were cool. Cause this was the eighties. And so, um, I had barrettes in the eighties. Also, there were these barrettes that you had like, um, ribbon that you would weave through and then they had long trails of ribbon coming out of the barrettes. And so I had these barrettes. So I sort of felt like I, I could do this. Like I just felt, I remember feeling like I am important right now. And I stood in, it was like in our gymnasium of this tiny little elementary school. And I got to just read out this plaque. And I remember being so nervous, but also so proud that I was like my principal. And cause I, I also sort of felt like teachers and principals were really important people that like I had a lot of respect for and a lot of whatever. And like this principal chose me to do this thing and I got to be in front of my community. So it was, that's very much one of my first memories of public speaking. So it's safe to say a lot of people say, Oh, people are natural born public speakers, which is not necessarily true. Like you still have to build your skill set, but you could say that you like being on stage, that public speaking ha from that very moment, yeah. it was something that you enjoyed. You got dressed up and you just felt really empowered after that. So I, I love that yeah. because I want to transition into how I know you. And that is as my teacher, right? In high school, knowing that you like being in front of an audience, even the way that you just described yourself there, right? The amount of detail, the way, like I could see you, I could see you and I could see the plaque and I could see you <laughs> reading that. And I could just feel how you were feeling yeah. in that moment. You're really good at evoking emotion and that is public speaking. And as a mm. teacher, I've always admired your way of doing this. And, you know, during our English classes, the books and where I would see maybe no meaning, you brought a ton of meaning to it. So I'd love to understand mm. your journey towards that like how did you get to being Yvonne in her class's high school teacher for a couple years and why why did you do that to yourself <laughs> it's one of my biggest honors to be Yvonne's teacher um but um yeah it's funny so I often when I'm leading uh, different sort of workshops, which involve public speaking now, and I'm introducing myself to people, I often tell them just in trying to be in a short snippet of my journey of like, how did I get to be here leading this workshop for you? And I always tell people, um, my mom was a teacher and um, I was raised by a single parent. And so I sort of grew up in her classroom. And so, you know, I would like spend lots of time um, in her classroom before school, after school on, the, you know, on, during summer, like working on her, on her bulletin boards. And so for most of my life, I was like, oh, that teaching me, I'm never going to do that. That's terrible. <laughs> you know, like I watched her like bring her canvas bag of papers to grade on all of our vacations. I was like, no, 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 that's not me. Um, 
And so I sort of took a winding path, but then ultimately was like, no, of course, that's what I want to do. Um, <clears throat> and so in my gosh, I guess I was in my 30s when I when I decided to be a teacher. And what I always joke with people about is that in some ways, I feel like maybe there was a little part of me that was like, well, if I'm a teacher, then I just get to be on stage all the time. <laughs> like I've joked about that as someone who like, who like had had very small little ambitions at, at any point to be like an actor or whatever. Like I never actually thought that that, but I love, I've always loved performing and being in front of people. And I was like, well, God, when I'm in my classroom, I'm just like on stage. And people have um, to listen to you. They have no choice. <laughs> well, well, I mean, yes. And <laughs> I'm very aware that people were often not listening to me in my classroom and that's fine. Um, but then I think that for me, when I then actually became my teacher self, it also just opened up a, a way in which I could try to, um, you know, my, my ultimate goal for my students was like, I wanted my students to find magic in specifically in words and stories, right? Because that it was English class and that was why I became an English teacher. But I really wanted them to find magic within themselves. Um, and so I think that the the joy that I found in teaching what were those moments where I felt like I could sort of be like my goofiest self or, or my most like, like awestruck self or, or whatever, and like do that and act like a fool. Um, but in hopes that that then would allow students to like have their own version of that and have students feel the power and the magic in their own, in their own voices. Um, and so public speaking was like all part of that, right? It was like, yeah. How did, how do you create that environment in a classroom? Because one of the things that people talk about all of the time and, and, and that they share with me is, Yvonne, I just lack confidence in public speaking. Like, I don't feel confident in my public speaking. But to me, it sounds like it's not a skill set that they don't feel confident in. It's more a feeling. It's more an internal thing. So how can we how do you how have you created environments in your classrooms where, where students can feel that confidence? It's such a good question. I feel, and I, and it's just, I mean, this is, this is what I think about all the time is like, how, right? I feel like within education, that's the question. How, how do we do this? How do we do this? Well, how do we do this in a way where, you know, all these different complex humans can, can be who, who they deserve to be and, and whatever. But I think to your, to your question more specifically, um, because this is actually a lot of the work that I'm involved in now as schools are sort of choosing to really center, center things around certain skills um, and often are reaching for communication, right? Like schools are realizing people need to know how to communicate when they leave, right? And then it's fascinating to also sort of reflect on how some schools immediately go into more formal presentation, public speaking. Some, some schools are sort of doing a cool thing around like how do we actually teach students and get students a chance to practice like um, almost like academic discourse where they're they're learning how to like talk to each other in more collegial discussions or whatever. Anyway, um, but so that, that how question comes up a lot of like, how do we create environments? And I really do think that specifically in K-12 education, so much of this comes from the environment in which a teacher has built their classroom, right? And you know, I think I hope that you would you would agree. And I and I've said 
so many times in my teaching was like, I would tell students like, I'll never ask you to do something that I'm unwilling to do. Like, that's just not how I roll as a teacher. Right. And so sort of having teachers lead, lead with their own vulnerability, have teachers being really um, transparent with their own learning process, I think helps younger people to see like, well, there's no magic. It's not like, oh, this person knows how to do it perfectly. And they've always known how, and they just, or they got some certificate and now it's great. It's like, I get nervous every single time I go out in front of audiences and I love that. Right. And it's like, that's so, so anyway, I don't think I'm doing a good job of answering a question, but I, I do think that, uh, well, it's, I just think a key part of it is recognizing and acknowledging that, um, even as somebody who loves public speaking, there's still, I still always have more to learn. Um, I always need practice and feedback from others. And I'm always going to have that feeling where I'm like, Oh God, like, am I going to screw this up? Or, Oh God, I think I just screwed that up or whatever. And that's, that's okay. That's all part of it. Right. And I think the more, as I, as I, as I went through my teaching career, the more and more I did it, I was like, really my best job is when I share with my students, like the real, real, right. To be like, I don't know what I'm doing, by the way. <laughs> and I know I'm the I know I'm the grown-up and I'm supposed to. And but like I don't always. <laughs> and I just feel like I don't remember anyone ever telling me that when I was when I was a young person. And so that I feel like that is almost like the foundational thing of like as an adult who's trying to foster an environment in which everybody feels comfortable to like go through a learning process and try new things or whatever, it's like I have to model that first myself. Yeah. And I, I have always felt that in your classrooms, by the way. Um, one of the things that I enjoy about the conversations that I have on the podcast is the podcast is called Public Speaking Con Cultura, right? Because the idea behind it is that everybody does public speaking differently because you're approaching it from your own experiences, your mannerisms. Like if you want to go and do the more formalized public speaking, sure, you can do that, but it doesn't make this form of speaking any any less valid. So I, I and as a teacher and in our classrooms and specific, like during our, you know, we came from a community that was under-resourced. We had various different experiences in the classroom, various different approaches to education and what that meant for us. For some of us, we grew up with school being our babysitter because our parents had to go work and they weren't going to pay for a babysitter. So we were in school. For some of us, school was our escape. For me, school was always like, I'm just going to do really well in school because this is the only place where I can actually have a little bit of control over things. So in the same sort of light around creating this environment from, it, it sounds like you're saying connection, right? Like how do how do you get all these different people from different backgrounds, from all these different things to do one thing, right? How do you, how do you create this one thing for a multitude of people? And I know that's a, that's a crazy question, but what I'm alluding to too is our benchmark portfolios. Yeah. 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 I love that. Um, also <laughs> I have to talk about this with other teachers, but Something that I felt, I mean, thankfully you, I, I, thankfully I was your teacher a couple years in, so you didn't get like me, I, like you didn't get me in my first couple years. Um, I, I, I feel like I want to go back and apologize to every single one of those students. Like, sorry, I was, I was not ready. <laughs> I was learning, but, um, I remember feeling like in those first couple years, I had this, like, they, they don't realize that there's more of them than there are of me. Like they could just say no at any minute. And 
You know, like whatever. I remember thinking that. But anyway, that aside, um, I do think that one of the reasons why I believed so much in the way in which we had students do public speaking at our school, right? And and you were such a beautiful example of this. But when we had students do things like exhibitions and then working up to portfolio defenses where students are talking about their learning, I think the reason that I believe so much in that is that I always say to people, it allowed you as a student to own the story of your learning in a way that I think in traditional education, and this is what I'm trying to sort of share with folks all over the country now, traditional assessment, there's some adult who's like holding the answers and is like, well, let me tell you what you know. Let me tell you who you are. Let me tell you what you're, where you're going to go. And I'm not going to explain why. I'm just going to say you got a 74.5 and that means blank. And like, that's not helpful at all. And so when I think about the way in which we really like demanded that you all just try out public speaking, was this both a belief that like making your learning visible through public speaking is a really, really rich way to have you and us as the adults just get a, be a, get a better sense of what's going on in your brain. But then secondly, and I think more importantly, this idea of owning your own narrative is like probably the most empowering thing we could do to young people. And it's actually probably the most rigorous, right? I always say like rigor is a word that's been weaponized mostly by white educators around the country. Um, but like, I can't imagine a more um, meaningful and um, I don't know, like uh, like something with high expectations than like what you all did, right? Like we asked you to talk about your learning. We asked you to connect that to a metaphor. Like this is like higher order, like really abstract thinking. We like we asked you to do all this, and then we asked you to do it publicly in front of an audience. <laughs> you got graded on it, right? <laughs> and I just think that. What I always say is that I would watch the student's journey so that when there were students who, you know, I think I always love hearing you describe yourself and, and, and like watching you sort of like encourage people who are introverts or whatever to be able to do public speaking because you did a really good job of, of managing that as a student. Like it, it was, you were not somebody who was like, no, I'm not gonna do that or, you know, like whatever you, because you were also so amazing in terms of just how you wanted to show up at school, you were like, of course I'm gonna do that, right? But to watch other students come in as ninth graders and like have deep, deep like anxiety and, and, and fear around public speaking. But then I remember you and when you talked to Helen, I think on one of your early podcasts and you both were laughing and you were like, in the beginning we were like, you want us to do what? And then after a while you were just like, this is just what we do, right? And I think watching as an adult, watching that journey and being able to celebrate how students went from like, I'm sorry, what? You're no, to like, okay, well, like there were some students who never got to the place of like, oh, I'm so, I'm so thankful that we do this or whatever. And that's fine. But, but almost every student got to a place where they were like, okay. And I think part of that is because um, public speaking allows, and, and these types of presentations allowed us to really like meet students where they were, right? So we had some students who were never going to do like the same version of the presentation as you did. And that was fine because we were able to modify and differentiate and use all these other education terms to be like, okay, cool. Then how about if we do it this way? 
um, but still allow that student to ultimately own the story of their own learning and tell it in the way that made that they wanted to. Yeah, and you know, I think when we when we talk about equity and education and just meeting people where they are, I think this does a really this way of teaching us and I mean assessing, I mean teaching and assessing our knowledge meets like you said meets us exactly where we are, but it individualizes it while at the same time creating a community around it, which I think is like the secret sauce. Like oh, I love that. You have to make folks feel like, or, or we know as students that our individual story is powerful. Our individual approach to education and how we learn best is really important. And the cool thing about it is that because yeah. of that, we build a community with other other people. So I, I remember during yes. our benchmark portfolios, how during our um, advisory period, it just sort of became this one big ass workshop of us talking through our presentations and that's the kind of stuff that I do today at work, right? Like I'm not, I'm not, my manager's not testing me on, hey, did you retain this information? Like, and here's a 30 minute quiz for you to take on what we just talked about during our one-on-one. I'm actually having to talk to people, interact with them, work on projects with them. And I think that this approach not only creates that confidence and that like, okay, this is who I am in this world, but also gives you actual skills to be doing things in the, in the yeah. workplace. So, yeah. Yes, I totally agree. And we had, I had like one of the most joyful experiences. Well, now this was probably like five or six years ago where we went and did a bunch of alumni um, listening uh, to, to, in, to, to students who had gone through our schools. And, you know, I got to talk to like, I think I made something like 50 phone calls and some of them weren't students that I had taught and some of them weren't. Um, and we asked three questions. It was like, where did we do, like, where did we do right by you? Like, where, how did you feel prepared for the world when you left our schools? Second one was like, where did we really screw it up? Like, where did we fall down? Third was like, what are you doing now? And like, what are the things that you feel like you bring from, from high school or from whatever? And what I loved about that was like, there was this resounding, almost every single student or every single, no, was, they, these were not students anymore. These were like amazing humans. Of life. Every single person I talked to was like, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, they are now adults, fully adult. Um, the, every single student I talked to was like, oh my gosh, um, like working on group projects. I was always the leader. Like if, if I went to college, like I always end up being the leader in those darn group projects. Cause I knew how to like do that. Right. Second was I could present the pants off of anybody like, yes, getting up in front of my college classes, getting up and whatever. But then people started talking about work. And this was the thing that surprised me. Cause I hadn't really thought about it. They were like in interviews. I could like, I do so well in interviews for jobs because I know how to do this. And then just like you said, like in working with managers or whatever, there was just this um, fluency and this level of comfort that many of our students, our former students talked about that. I feel like students who don't, who aren't asked, <laughs> if not forced to do like public speaking in there and practice or whatever, just have to learn once they're out in the world um, rather than getting the support of having folks sort of coaching them along the way. Yeah, exactly. It's so interesting that you mentioned that interviews, I think are one of my, I can kind of, I know things and I can put things together really quickly now. And sometimes I take that for granted, but I realize that it's because mm -hmm. I put in the work initially to be able to do that. Like that didn't come naturally to me. It had to be taught. Yeah. And then now it's a little bit more of a habit yeah. to where I can pull from this and make connections to this and all these connections here that 
I would it would have normally taken me a really long time to to figure out. Um, so I totally agree yeah. with that. And I think. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I think like for me, that's such a key of good public speaking too, right? Like if I think about when I've like been in an audience listening to like a keynote speaker or in a workshop or whatever, and the person who's speaking is able to make connections to things that like my brain wouldn't get to or wouldn't get to as quickly as that person, that's a moment where I'm like, whoa, this person just like blew my mind or like I'm scribbling down notes or whatever, because I think that that's such a beautiful way of of like, I think a great public speaker is somebody who can paint a picture for the audience where that all of a sudden something takes shape in the brains of those who are listening in ways that like they could not have gotten to on their own. And I think like what you just described that you're able to do in interviews is probably exactly what you do as a public speaker and things like it's that like beautiful making connections where I can like make some analogy and, and sometimes I'm like doing it off the, yeah. off the dome, right? Like somebody just asked a question in a workshop and I'm like, huh. And then I say something and I just see people's heads nodding and I'm like, Oh, I think that was kind of smart. Right? Like, <laughs> you know, I feel like oh. that. Yeah. I think that all the time it's like, Oh, Oh, I'll watch, I'll watch a recording over. It's like, I said that or someone yeah. um, on LinkedIn after hosting a workshop, they'll send me a quote that I said during the, the presentation. And I don't yeah. like to memorize things that kind of just, I know this stuff. So I just say it. And I will, so that means that sometimes I will add some things in there that just come to me naturally in the moment and someone will message me the quote and they're like, I was like, huh, I said that. That was me. Like if I were to read that and that was someone else, I'd be like, damn, this person knows what they're talking about. Right. Um, for some reason, it's a little harder to accept right. that it is coming from me, but nonetheless, I'm still shocked by, by greatness sometimes. I'm like, huh, that was actually really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because I also think that's something that I love about public speaking is that especially when when somebody is sort of getting to the point as a public speaker where you're not necessarily reading from a prepared set of, of remarks or whatever, because you are comfortable with with whatever, like I really think it allows like it allows a person to like step into their greatness, like really like as a public speaker, you're like, oh, my gosh, people want to know what I'm saying when I say it. They're like, damn. And then when I hear it back, I'm like, damn. Like, like that's such a gift, right? It's like, it's like a, a beautiful mirror of how we all do have so much wisdom inside of us. And um, when I get to share that with an audience, like that's a gift to me too. Um, like oftentimes people will be like, oh my gosh, Abby, that was so amazing. Thank you so much. And I'm like, well, thank you for saying that. I'm so glad that it felt that way. Like, I don't want to waste your time. <laughs> but also like, that's a gift to me. So I just think that that's such a, that's such a wonderful thing about no, public I, I agree. And, and Abby, you know, I, I always do think sincerely, if more, if all teachers were like you, we'd have a ton of students that are just confident within and that are figuring themselves out. I mean, I think confidence is like this. It kind of is a wave that just, you know, sometimes yeah. you feel good, other times you don't. Oh. But I think that at the core, if we're able to, yes. uh, one of the most powerful things to me is being able to make connections where there seemingly aren't any. And I think that's what your style of teaching, your style, your curriculum is, has been able to do. So I'd like to transition over to the work that you do today with, with folks and just how, how can we have more Abbeys out in the world? <laughs> Um, thank you for saying that. That's incredibly meaningful. Um, and you know, I always, I always joke with people when I, when I tell people about you of like, like 
some of my most um, rewarding moments as a teacher like involve you, like the stories that I tell. So just know that that's that's a that's a that's a back and forth. Um, and I really appreciate that. And I think you know, I think what you just said about confidence is such an important thing. And like, I can't tell you how often I will be like falling asleep at night or whatever and think back to like I think that I had I any teacher is given an, an incredible amount of responsibility like the fact that parents trust me with their most precious their most precious being and that I then get so much time with these young people um, who would come and just sit in my class every day whether they wanted to be there or not um, like that's an incredible responsibility and I really appreciate you saying what you said about me and I'm gonna like cherish that and like I also know that for some students, like I was not the right teacher and that, you know, like, and so that, that confidence sort of, uh, even just in reflecting on my, my decade in the classroom is like, I, I like have waves of like, yeah, you know what? I think I did do okay. And then I'm like, oh my God, I really screwed it up and I like did harm or whatever. So I really appreciate you saying that. And, um, you know, I, I also made the decision about seven years ago to leave the classroom and to do the work that I do now, which I guess you, is, is most easily described as educational consulting. Um, that's usually what I say I am when I talk to people or what I say I do. But essentially, I had a moment um, where I realized that public education, it really needs so much change. Um, it's the least nimble. I always say it's the least nimble industry we have in this country. And I think it's one of the highest levers of oppression and white supremacy culture, um, that we have schools that are replicating oppression, racism, the patriarchy, capitalism, all that stuff in really harmful ways um, across the country. As a whole, there's that doesn't mean that that's happening in every individual classroom, but as a whole, I don't think education has figured out how to really confront those forces and unravel the systems and the structures that like undergird our basic education system that everyone believes in, like standardized testing, like, you know, huge comprehensive high schools or whatever, right? Um, we just haven't done the work to, to change that. And so I felt like I needed to try to have more impact at a systems level versus having the joy and the privilege of being in a classroom daily with, with students. And that was part one of my conversation with Abby, educational consultant and founder of Course Shifts. In part two, we're going to dive deeper into the work that she's currently doing and learn more about how she's doing it and what her vision for the future of public education is. Thank you so much for being here. Keep an eye out for part two of this segment next week.